0: Welcome to episode 160 of the Luke Messias show. Today, we're talking about an issue that we've covered quite extensively on our show so far, which is the Texas border. But we're going to talk with Nate Hockman, who is a journalist uh, I've seen as somebody who I think more and more conservatives are starting to follow some of his coverage of various different issues across the nation, focusing on also different states and issues within the states. Um, Nate has brought a piece out, published a piece this week, which I read and wanted to share with you in his perspective. The headline at the National... National Review was Operation Lone Star struggles at the Texas border and does a very good job going very in depth of what kind of efforts Texas is leading at the border and some of the ramifications of the policies, whether the policies are working or not, and that's been something that we've talked about here. Whether or not uh, these things are actually being implemented, whether we're stopping people from coming into the country illegally, or sometimes, which happens a lot of times, Republicans will establish policies that sound really good when they're delivered on sound bites to Fox News audiences, but then when you dig into the actual results, they might not actually be delivering what the people need. And so that's really the question that I think Nate's piece really gets at. It does a good job at the front end of laying out the fact that fundamentally this is a problem that has been established by the Democrats' open border policies. So recognize that Donald Trump had policies of stay in Mexico that really fundamentally changed the way we treated immigration and began to actually stem the flow. In some ways, it probably made it even harder for human traffickers to recruit people to pay them to then funnel into our country. Uh, But since Biden opened the border, it puts states in a position where if you want to stop the illegal invasion that's happening at the southern border then you actually have to enact state policies and use your authority to do just that. Abbott had rolled out his Operation Lone Star and talked about the difference between the catch-and-release policies of the federal government versus the catch-and-jail policies of the state. But Nate does uh, dig into some numbers here that kind of show that some of the same – criticisms that we levy against Democrats in Washington could also potentially be levied against our own Texas uh, program. So with that, that is my intro to Nate. Why don't you kind of tell us, uh, one, when, when did you start on this? I know it's a pretty in-depth piece, so I'm assuming this isn't something you just popped out over a weekend, or if you did, uh, great on you, very impressed. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this story in specific, and we'll dig into some of the uh, intricacies that were covered.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, Luke, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, the piece, I think, I'm, like a lot of conservatives, am very interested in Texan. I'm, I'm not a Texas uh, by Texan by birth. I, I've only been there a couple of times, but it's one of the largest red states and most powerful and important red states in the country. So anyone who's a conservative, who's a Republican, has an interest in what's going on in states like Texas and Florida, particularly as locus points of resistance to the Biden administration. And immigration is obviously one of the really, really important issues for the country, but particularly in the minds of Republican voters, as you have this border crisis uh, with, you know, untold amounts of migrants crossing the border right now as a result of a lot of the really destructive policies that the Biden administration has passed over the last year. And uh, I think Republican voters deserve to know how their red state leaders are responding to them. So as you rightly pointed out, Abbott, as governor campaigning, he was, he was hit from his right by people like, uh, you know, Alan West and the other folks who were running against him. And he attempted to transition or, or pivot on a number of different issues that mattered to Republican voters. And to his credit, uh, he, he did that in a substantive way on a number of other issues. But on immigration, a lot of the things that he is saying, a lot of the stuff that he's touting about Operation Lone Star, which kicked off last March, if you actually look into it, it really hasn't had a substantive effect on the border. So I think as conservatives and Republicans, we should give Abbott credit where he deserves it for actually becoming more conservative as governor of Texas. But immigration, I think, is one of the major gaping holes in his record. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about on the campaign trail doesn't actually reflect the reality on the ground,
0: particularly in border communities in Texas. So one of the things you pointed out was, Kind of the difference between the catch and release policies and Texas's kind of established catch and jail policies. But I think you – one of the things you did point out in your piece – I'm just going to read from it so we can kind of – you know, kind of talk about certain aspects of it. But it says, as a result, Operation Lone Star has managed to detain only a relatively small number of illegal aliens, while many more have been released by court orders. In November, the Wall Street Journal reported that just 3% of the program's arrests have led to convictions. And of the 170 cases that were resolved, about 70% were dismissed, declined, or otherwise dropped. And so We have this issue where you have a massive amount of illegals that are walking into Texas, right, just coming into Texas. And we know that they're actually being funneled there by organized criminal cartels. And so these people are bringing them into our country. And one of the things your piece kind of lays out is the fact that the whole goal for an illegal who crosses the border is to get a foothold in the legal system, right? Because if they can get an asylum claim, then now they are legally in the United States. They can go get a job at a Texas company. And until they don't show up for their asylum hearing, they're legally in the United States. So if they can just get in, then they become part of the process. And then one of the things I did appreciate was when you talked about the fact that the asylum courts have the lowest – uh, I don't know what the term was he used, but it was basically like less people show up for these court hearings. Yeah, so it has the highest failure to appear of any court system in America. Right, so like I mean, recognize that this whole thing's kind of a joke. Like we know when we ask these people, "Would you please come back in three years?" They're not coming back. I mean, almost all of them are not going to come back. So that is a reality that. Uh, Texas said, hey, we're going to take care of by actually scooping these people up before they get into that system. But we've seen that that largely just hasn't actually played out. They still, for the most part, get into the system. Uh, We're not preventing anyone from getting into the system. And something you, I think, pointed out um, is that once they step foot into Texas, the court system just allots them so many rights and privileges that any type of state program that basically allows entry, is already in a losing battle once they start. Can you kind of dig into that a little bit? That's right. And catch and release, I think it's important to understand. This is a
1: decades-long systemic problem. As, As you described quite aptly, there is this enormous web of interlocking legal rulings and memos and policies and court cases that basically make it so that once a migrant steps foot in the country, they're automatically entitled to any number of rights that make it much more difficult to deport them. And a lot of times what happens with the credits and release system is that they are released into the interior for further processing. And a lot of them just don't show up for their court dates because they don't need to. And at that point, the battle's already lost. So uh, a effective response to the problem at the border needs to begin at the understanding that once you let the migrant into the country in the first place, you're, you' are you have a much more difficult situation on your hands. So detention is different than expulsion. The way to actually stop people coming into the country is to just not let them come into the country in the first place. and so so Abbott is talking about catch in jail rather than catch and release but catch and jail is a lot of times it's basically just catch and release by any other name. It's a slightly delayed catch and release. So basically what the program is doing is it is detaining illegal aliens, in some of these border communities, just the ones that are cooperating with the program overall, which is not all of them, um, at taxpayer's expense, spending a lot of money, of Texas taxpayers' money to detain these people in overcrowded jails, and then releasing a lot of them into the interior. So all it really is doing is delaying the catch and release process or drawing it out and spending more tax dollars, by the way, uh, along the way, rather than actually solving the fundamental problem, which is that people are getting into the country in the first place. And again, you, you know, I, I don't envy Abbott's position. He has a difficult situation on his hands, not just because of the decades-long problem with catch and release, but also because the Biden administration has obviously been completely absent in any of that, if, if not actively trying to resist efforts to secure the border. But he has a responsibility to Texas and to the country more broadly, as because Texas is on the front line of the border crisis. And he needs to actually be responding with the aggressive approach that is required of the crisis. Uh, And if he he isn't doing that, I think he has an obligation to be honest to Texas voters about what's happening, which I don't think the catch and jail, catch and release rhetoric is really doing uh, at the
0: moment. The criticism of Republicans, the, the criticism that Republicans have levied on the catch and release program is not that the people were not detained for longer before being released, right? So if your solution is that we're able to hold these people in an uncomfortable jail situation, only some of them, the unaccompanied males for a couple months before they then get released, it's still a catch and release program. It's just a catch and release And just like you're just delaying the process at some point. One of the things you also pointed out, which I think is something that we are, we can see before we even start this program. In fact, we talked about this a little bit on the Luke Messiah show, but um, you have a lot of these border counties where people are getting arrested and the district attorneys are just not even participating in the state program because they themselves are Democrats who don't want the program to exist. And so- This is not something that we just figured out yesterday, right? It's not like Republicans for a long time said, hey, all these Democrat district attorneys are going to want to prosecute all these illegals that we put into the jail system. It's very predictable. One of the reasons that I know a lot of proponents had come out and said, we need to expel these people from the country. We need to not allow them entrances because once they do come in— We can arrest them and check them in at the Democrat-run jail, but the Democrat-run DA can just not do anything with those cases and those people then get released. So it it also is worth noting – and your piece draws that out – that only a handful of the counties there are actually participating with the state in making sure that when they arrest somebody – They even have a chance of doing something with them. I mean, Kinney County that you point out, it's a tiny county and the district attorney is a total patriot, but it's a very small sliver of the actual border that actually goes through Kinney County. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think this is actually the most damning aspect of uh, Abbott's border response is only two counties along the border at all are even participating. Uh, It's Valverde County and Kinney County. As you point out, Kinney County is the really conservative one and their prosecutor's uh, doing heroic work, trying to sort of do what he can with the very small amount of resources he has in a very small district. But obviously one prosecutor in one county can't do anything. And they've run up against a lot of the same bureaucratic snags and jail breaks, not as a result of the prosecutor's fault, but just because of all of these issues that we're talking about. Valverde County has sort of cooperated a little bit but their prosecutor has also been much more reluctant to go along with it, uh, and has it something like half or more of the cases that were referred to him during Operation Lone Star, he dropped and he let the migrants go. So, and, and that's, that's just those two counties. You have large swaths of the Rio Grande that aren't cooperating at all, which so it basically means that all of the rhetoric that Abbott is deploying about Operation Lone Star just doesn't apply to a large, large segment of, of the border. And again, these problems would not exist if you didn't have to deal with the problem of massive amounts of legal aliens in the country or in the state in the first place, but because they are in the state in the first place, all of a sudden they're subject to these local jurisdictions that aren't really particularly interested in border security and think that enforcing the border is racist, et cetera, et cetera, right? They share the Biden administration's line on this, uh, particularly in parts of, of the Rio Grande Valley that, that still have local Democrats in office. So. It, it is it, it, the, it is nice to see that Abbott is doing something to try to fill in the gaps. But actually, if you look more closely at what's going on on the ground, uh, it's not actually being carried out in the way that he says it is, almost at all, frankly, except for uh, th- these very, very small slivers of actual attempts at border security in small parts of the border.
0: So later on down the article, we really get to um, the laid out potential solutions that exist when it comes to denying people entry to the country. And those of us here in Texas um, saw a lot of these ideas touted by Don Huffines, who ran for governor and kind of laid out his entire border plan, which is Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution gives us the ability to say, if we're being invaded, we can now step in and actually – fill the gaps that are being uh, left by the federal government. They are refusing to uh, protect the state from an invasion. Therefore, we're going to step in. You draw our attention, and I think Texans often just focus on Texas, right? So we kind of like seeing our, our curb problem. But one of the things you draw our attention to in this article is Arizona, where the attorney general actually came out with an opinion that said that in in his legal opinion, what is happening in Arizona, which is the same thing happening in Texas, is an invasion. And this is kind of an insider battle that's going on within the Republican Party right now. But you have these people that are saying, if we legally qualify this as an invasion, it now affords the states certain authority that they Otherwise, would not have, and the the governor Doug Ducey, who's current governor of Arizona, did not like that, uh, was not supportive of of that push by the attorney general. But you do have candidates running for governor there in Arizona, uh, Carrie Lake being kind of the front runner that has already said she also kind of supports this policy. Russ vote, I think I would say does a good job in your piece of kind of laying out why he and the Center for Renewing America uh, have laid this out as a solution as well, right, which is that states need to understand that they are under an invasion, use that as a legal argument to then say, we are denying entry into our state, we are defending the state itself, because the federal government's refusing to do that, and then force the feds to try to basically say, no, states must allow as many illegals went across in their state as possible, because if we want to let them, if we want to, you know, ignore the complete systems of laws that our country has. That's our prerogative. So uh, that's kind of what you lay out at the end. How do you think that is playing out both in Arizona and and what? how does that then come into Texas?
1: Right. So you haven't seen any red state governors embrace the plan yet, obviously. Uh, I think they're reluctant to go to war with the federal government, but I think that this is a situation which absolutely requires an all-hands-deck approach. Someone like Carrie Lake, for example, you mentioned running for governor of Arizona, fantastic candidate, not just on border security, but across the board, total patriot. She would be, I think, uh, absolutely someone that we should look to as an example of implementing this policy if she were elected. But Greg Abbott hasn't touched it. Uh, and 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 no one in the sort of the top ranks of the Texas GOP uh, have, have embraced the plan. Uh, but I think, you know, I, Russ vote and the Center for Renewing America, they released this plan in October, 2021. And I think it's a really sound Response to what is by any measure a dire situation. Obviously, it would be preferable if the federal government tackled immigration, because this is actually one of the few things that the federal government should be doing um, is enforcing the national border. The Trump administration had a lot of really miraculous policies like remain in Mexico. I think there's more they could have done, such as declaring the cartels a terrorist organization, which Trump wanted to do but was talked out of it. But insofar as you have an administration that's completely abdicated their duty in terms of enforcing the border, large red states like Texas have to step into the breach. And I think it's appropriate to declare what's happening on the border an invasion because of the cartel's involvement. So I think the the designation in terms of whether or not this is actually an invasion by a hostile foreign power really hinges on how involved the cartels are uh, in the situation at the border. And something that Russ told me for the piece, which I think was really apt, is that we effectively have a narco state on our Southern border and no one wants to talk about it. But there are very few, if any migrants that get into the country from South America who haven't passed through the sort of hierarchy and governing authorities of the cartel. It is something that is being absolutely engineered in a very meticulous and methodical and purposeful way by these different cartels, which in many places in Mexico, for example are actually more powerful than the Mexican governments, right? They often have more advanced military technology. They have an entire sort of hierarchical semi-governmental governing structure. uh, And they are the ones who are responsible wholly across the board for what's happening on our Southern border. So if we regard those cartels as something approximating a hostile state, which I think it is entirely fair to do, then it's reasonable to, to actually look at what's happening on our Southern border as an invasion and to treat it as such. So as long as the cartels are the ones engineering the crisis at the border, which uh, anyone who studies the border in good faith, I think uh, that's the conclusion that they'll reach, uh, then we should be treating it as an invasion uh, from a hostile power, and we should be responding as such. The question, of course, is whether or not the uh, red state governors like Abbott sort of are interested in that fight. And I think for a long time, Republicans at the elite level uh, have been really reluctant to be really aggressive on this stuff because they don't want the media coverage, calling them a racist, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want the powerful judges in progressive areas going after them and the federal government if it's controlled by a Democrat going after them. But eventually, you know, Republican voters expect this of their elected representatives and something as crucially important as the basic sovereignty of the American nation and the integrity of our Southern border requires getting serious about this. As far as the sort of catch and release stuff goes, it's not working. Catching jail, catching releases, regardless, it's really not doing anything. You have to be expelling people at the border. And as long as the Biden administration isn't going to be doing that, we have to be looking at pretty radical steps to do that ourselves. And this seems like the most viable way forward.
0: Uh, Episode 151 of the Luke Messiah show talked about... For those listeners and viewers, episode 151 is where we talk to John Davidson, uh, who is a reporter at The Federalist who spent down, time on the border. And he also goes into to kind of detail um, the criminal – organized criminal cartel activity at the border, the fact that there really is not a human being that crosses the southern border that we know of that hasn't paid a cartel to get there um, in some form or fashion. And so for anybody interested in kind of beefing up their understanding of that side, if you haven't listened to episode 151 – Please do so, Nate. Uh, you've been kind of new to journalism. You graduated college, got into the the gig. Uh, is this something that you wanted to do, kind of from the beginning? And talk to us a little bit about just your first year or two in the industry and what you've learned from it.
1: Sure. So I'm. I always knew that I liked writing, and I thought that I was relatively competent at it. And I am a conservative who's interested in politics. So going into media for me, at least the first step, seemed like the sort of the the easy rational way forward. And it gives me a chance to cover issues that I really care about in depth, like immigration, um, which I think is, is nice. It's not, it's not normal for someone of my age in politics to have this much freedom in basically what I get to do, uh, which means I can cover the cultural issues that I care about, you know, issues at the border, et cetera, et cetera, issues within the Republican party um, and write about them. Now, whether or not that is sort of the life path going forward, I think is obviously an open question, but the The nice thing about the conservative movement for all of my criticisms of the conservative movement the Republican Party is that they really do make a serious effort to mentor up and coming young people uh, in cities like DC, which means that I, by virtue of being in writing and being a conservative and working for a, a legacy conservative magazine, have been able to spend a lot of time with a lot of really smart sort of well-known established conservative thinkers here and and they've taken me under their arm. Um, So I'm having a great time doing it thus far in the 10 months or so of my post-college career. Uh, And I think it's, you know, it it opens up new opportunities in, in any number of places in politics going forward.
0: Well, I'm really grateful that you've uh, been willing to write this piece. I think it shows that even within 10 months of the industry, the fact that you can uh, from not inside Texas come in and really draw attention to some facts and figures and realities on our southern border is really helpful. Texans are all grateful that, um, you know, you're here serving and writing because, again, it draws our eyes and attention to the realities of what's going on. And like you said, uh, politicians uh, have different priorities than citizens. They just naturally have a desire to survive, a desire to retain power. And that's everybody in every single – on both parties. I mean there are some very rare exceptions. But for the most part, these people as the political class have a desire to maintain the power and position they have. And that's based on perception. And so the things that they bring out are often based on perception. And the role that journalists then have traditionally played in society is basically trying to then interpret – what is it that he wants me to perceive or she wants me to perceive said politician and what is the actual effects of the policies that exist, right? And so one of the reasons I appreciate good journalists and try to bring them on and talk is is because that is – when they are actually fulfilling that duty, we start to see the divergence or uh, you know, the cognitive dissonance that often exists within a politician's public statements and the policy implications of the pol- of the politician's actual actions. And so this story is a really clear example of just that. And it happens to be on an issue that you mentioned is the most important issue uh, to voters, Republican voters across the nation and Republican voters in Texas. I mean, if you pull any group of Republican voters, and you say, what's your number one issue? By like a 35 or 40 point margin, it's immigration. And second place is nowhere close. It's like immigration in the fifties. And then the second biggest thing is like CRT and porn in schools, which is like, 13%, you know, compared to this 55% chunk. So they know what they're concerned about and they really are going to continue to be concerned about it until the invasion stops. And so that's where we're at. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for following this discussion with Nate and I. I hope that His piece, if you haven't read it, go to the National Review, look up Operation Lone Star Struggles at the Texas Border, read it, understand it. If you've listened to this whole episode, you probably don't need to read it. I'm just going to be completely honest, but you can go and just share it so that people who haven't heard this entire conversation can also get the information. It's really important that we as conservatives understand the time we're in, the battles that are facing us. That's one of the reasons why we try to come to you. Well, we do come to you every single week. We hope that you have learned from this conversation. We hope you continue to learn in future conversations. Thank you, Nate, for coming on. Uh, God bless you. Thanks, Luke. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messia Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas.